You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Excuse me, I'm Matt. Dealing with a little throat thing, so we'll hopefully get through this. Um, Before we get going this morning... um, Again, I just want us to uh, pray for just all the chaos that's going on over in the Middle East. Um, Just barbaric terrorism is always evil, (laughs) no matter where it happens, whether it's here or there. um, God hates it. And so we need to pray. uh, We just need to pray. We need to pray for all of those involved. There's victims on every side, of course, but... Uh, the evil that was unleashed this week, this past week, is just uh, just horrifying. It's just absolutely evil. And so, um, where do we turn? Will we turn to God? So let's pray together for those over in the war zone. Father, we ask that you would intervene in what's going on, in the evil that's taking place over there in, in Israel, in that region. We don't even know how to pray, God. I mean, it's, it's such a complicated situation, but, um, but there's some things that aren't complicated at all. The murder of innocent people, it's a horrifying thing, Lord. And so we ask that, that justice would be served. We ask that your justice would be done. We, we pray for your wisdom. We ask that you would give the leaders involved wisdom to protect uh, humanity, human life, sacred so, Lord, please intervene. Please show us how we can pray. Show us how we can uh, be, be supportive. And even, I mean, this is, this is tough, Lord. I mean, how do you pray for your enemies here? But we ask that, that for those creating such atrocities, that even those people, that your spirit would go and give them a change of heart, that they would, they would enter into a repentance. God, it seems impossible from our, from our vantage point, but nothing is from yours. So we ask that you would move in a mighty, powerful way and that your name would be proclaimed and your glory would be seen, not only there, but all around the world. So Father, thank you for the courage that you've given those to stand up against the the, the evil one, those empowered by the evil one. We pray that justice would prevail. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so we're continuing. This is a shift gears. It's kind of weird. Um, but we're continuing our Advent conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy series, try that three times fast, that we started a couple weeks ago. And we're, so we've taken a break from the, from the Gospel of John. We're going to finish that up here in a couple weeks. But we thought we'd get a jump start on the Advent um, season that's coming on upon us really quickly. And Sean and, and Gabe, in the last couple of weeks, gave us kind of an excl- explanation of why we're doing this series in October. But allow me to recap, because some of you weren't here, and we st- we're still getting some questions. So all of us, we're, we're building on each other. Advent Conspiracy. It was a movement that was started in 2006 by some, by some pastors that, that began to kind of lament the, the Advent season. They, they realized that they 
they were exhausted. And, and they, they, were, they got to the end of Advent and they, they missed the awe-inspiring, the soul-satisfying mystery of the incarnation. And, and it was no wonder that they, they again, were um, at dre- dreading another season as the, as the next year came because um, it was just the same thing every year, right? They would prepare to proclaim and celebrate the Advent season and, and worship around the story of God entering the world. But something wasn't right. There was this creeping kind of idolatry that was creeping into their hearts and their congregations. And so they found themselves every year drowning in a sea of financial debt and endless lit lists of gifts to buy. And you know how it goes, right? Kind of the consumer Christmas. They believed the lie. The marketing lie that spending more money is the, on somebody is the best way to really love them well. And in American fashion, of course, more is better. So they got sucked in. And so they came to this moment of brutal honesty and they were like, you know what's This is just going to happen again. We're going to come to the end of this season and we're never going to stand in the place of awe because we're so exhausted. So they set out on this experiment. What if instead of acting like bystanders to the nativity, they actually led themselves and their congregations to be participants in the nativity? And so their story or their desire was to reclaim the story of Christmas, the foundational narrative of the church. And they strove to see the birth of Christ from inside the stable instead of inside the mall. It was going to be a shift. And so they thought to themselves, hey, if it doesn't take money to love, then we need to kind of recalculate things. If love is to be the driving force of our gift giving, it's why we give gifts to each other, right? We love each other. We, we want to, but, but if that's the, if that's the force, then money can't be. And so the, the dominating culture of consumerism can and must be rejected, they thought. They concluded. And because when, when we refuse to equate money with love, what it does is actually frees us up to leave the shallow story of this cultural Christmas and enter into the deep, life-giving waters of the incarnation, free to fall, from falling into the traps that Sean was talking about last week, to, to be able to give without comparison, to be able to receive with gratitude and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ with abandon. So it was a great, it was a great, great mission, a great uh, movement. And so Gabe showed us last week, oops, where, where are we at? Let's go. Gabe, Gabe talked to us about, what is it, or two weeks ago, what does it mean to worship fully? And he told us that Christ is the center of Christmas. That's not new for us. But, but Christ is the center of Christmas. And so Gabe took us to Romans 12 and reminded that in, the light, in light of the mercies of God, all the things that he's done for us, not only in Romans 1 to 11, but the, from, from the beginning of time, in light of his mercies to us, we're called to think differently than our culture. We're called to reject being pressed into the mold of our culture and resist and offer ourselves, what did he say, as living sacrifices that's, that's holy and pleasing to God, which is our true and proper worship. So he reminded us, Christmas is about Christ. It's about adoring the one who came to give his life for us and to offer us life. And then last week, Sean, he talked to us about spending less. This is the second tenet of Advent conspiracy. So worship fully is the first and then spend less. And Sean talked about spending less on ourselves and, and, and our friends and our families at Christmas time, he pointed out the many traps that we can step into around the holidays that leave us feeling empty, betrayed, and, and financially in debt. 
And he reminded us that, that the things of this world are temporal at best, right? Things don't last here. So store up your treasure where they do last. And let's celebrate Advent. Let's celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And so the third tenet is what I'm going to talk about today, and it's, it's, it's called give more. And then finally next week, Gary's going to come up and he's going to talk about the fourth tenet, which is love all. And we'll explain what that is. In a nutshell, here's the movement. If we decide to worship the Lord fully and not get sucked in by consumer Christmas, and, and we, we actually spend less on trinkets and things that are going to end up in our landfills and God forbid our oceans, and we give gifts that are significant and meaningful and relational, incarnational, then maybe we, we'll take some of that money that we didn't blow on stuff that doesn't matter and we'll be able to invest in things that do around the world like, like clean water, right, living water, or, or like um, immigrant connection in our communities, neighbors that need our help. And so that's kind of the thrust of what's going on here. And we'll talk more about that. Gary will kind of talk more about that next week. But that's what Advent Conspiracy in a nutshell is all about. Okay? I pulled a Sean. I dropped a heavy intro on you. But I think it's important that we're all on the same page and we understand what we're being called to here. So, okay, so how do we spend less and at the same time give more? That seems kind of like a contradiction, right? We taught this to our middle school and high school students years ago. And one of my students raised his hand and he's dead serious. He's like, hey, you're not teaching this to our parents downstairs, are you? <laughs> right? And I get it. I mean, I totally get it. Right? That old boy thought he was getting the shaft for Christmas now. He thought he was done. But um, listen, I grew up with the Christmas tree and presents. I grew up in a kind of middle class home. I mean, we, we had plumbing, indoor plumbing. So, um, but we weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination. I had two brothers, right? Things were tight. Um, but every Christmas, we had gifts around the tree. And let me tell you what, come Christmas Eve, man, well, all of December, but I mean, Christmas Eve, right, me and my bros were fixed on the gifts, right? We had, we had clubs that we, you know, made up upstairs. We kind of sneak around and try and figure things out. Um, don't do that, kids. It actually ruins Christmas. So anyway, um, but we were fixed on those gifts. That's where our treasure was. And my mom, God bless her, she'd sit down there. She had this old book from, I think, her grandma. It was the Nativity. And every Christmas Eve, she'd sit down, and it was painstaking for me and my bros, but she'd read it to us because she wanted us to focus on what was truly valuable. But we weren't seeing it. Um, I had other treasures in mind. Matter of fact, 1979, I was 10 years old, and all I wanted was this. I don't know if anybody knows what that is, right? It's, well, you know what? Between our sun, Saturday morning cartoons, which is all we had back then, this was the ad that ran for this. Check this out. It's a little fuzzy, but it's old school, but check it out. It's Big Track, the computer-activated tracker and the automatic transporter. Your child sends Big Track off on a mission by programming in up to 16 commands. Like fire three laser blasts. It's a thing of beauty. It's, you know, 
I, I mean, I love the dad in the chair. Back then, it could have been a pack of Paul Malls and Scotch, right? In 79, they could advertise anything. But it was an apple. He's like, thank you, son. Sure, dad. Uh, anyway, I, I just, I love, I, I love that. And it was like, I just wanted it. And I, my mom, and it was, it was $43 in 1979, which was, is like 200 today. Well, I don't know what the, well, let's not even get into the economics of today. Be a lot more today. But it was a stretch. But I got it. I didn't get the trailer. That was, you know, sold separately. But I got the big track. And man, for, my joy was complete. I was filled for two weeks. <laughs> I mean, just all I could think about. I mean, I had that thing dialed in. It could, you know, I didn't take Apple to the old man. No trailer, right? But that's okay. But I had that. It was, it was awesome. And the technology in 79, that thing was amazing, right? You could literally program it to go all over. It's crazy. Two weeks until I decided to take it apart to see how it worked. <laughs> it never worked again. <laughs> and off to the landfill it went. Listen, we're not saying no gifts for Christmas. There's nothing wrong with a bike if you can afford it, right? There's nothing wrong with Legos, a, a Tonka truck. I mean, I, I, think, I think those things are great, but maybe you don't need five Tonka trucks. Maybe you don't need, you know, the thousand dollar Legos. You know, it's about thinking about how we're spending. And maybe, just maybe there's a better way um, to give gifts that help us embrace what the Christmas story is all about. Because listen, we can all admit this. There's something, there's something deeply moving and beautiful about certain gifts. Remember a couple weeks ago, Gabe said, hey, think about the most memorable gift that you've received. What was it about that gift that touched you? And why is it that you can still treasure that gift even today? For most of us, uh, the special gift we remember is a different kind of gift because it was a relational gift. There was a relationship attached to it. Right? It wasn't just some trinket out of a store. Because the best gifts to celebrate are, 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 are those that celebrate relationships. Now, around the holidays, Sean was talking about watching movies. My wife and I like to watch movies, too. I mean, we, we like the Christmas, you know, um, the, the nativity, all those. We, we also like just random, crazy, you know, Christmas movies. One of the movies we watch every year is this one. Now, I don't know if you guys know this movie. Um, purely secular, okay? There's no redeeming value as far as Christ and the nativity, albeit there's, there's some really interesting relationship dynamics in this movie. Um, it's called The Family Stone. We always watch it. I mean, it's, it's, got, it's got everything. It's got family dysfunction, uh, family adoration, addiction, cancer, sibling strife, and the like, so we can relate, right? I mean, we know... <laughs> We have that in our family. I mean, it is what it is. And, and this Sarah Jessica Parker, the Sex and the City gal, she's, she's, she's insufferable in this movie. I mean, nobody likes her. She's narcissistic. She's selfish. And she's coming home with this guy because they're coming home to be with the family. Now, Diane Keaton here, she's got cancer, and they don't know it yet. And this is going to be her last Christmas. And so they come home, and they all kind of find out. And... and these two girls on the end, um, Parker and, and the one on the right, they just are at it, you know, hardcore. He wants to marry her. Mom doesn't want to give him the ring. I mean, it's a whole thing, a lot of drama. There's, it's funny. It's a little crude, so, you know, it's probably not kids, but um, I think it's PG-13, so make your... Anyway, <laughs> the thing that gets me every year in this movie, I get choked up right now thinking about it, um, 
there's this scene when this insufferable Sarah, Sarah comes in and she, they're all giving each other gifts. And she's like, here, just open it, open it. And she gives the family these gifts. And it's this. And this picture is Diane Keaton's character when she was young. And that child and her baby is the girl that she's been fighting with this whole time. And they're all stunned. They're like, what? And the mom looks over at the daughter and says, that's you and me, kid. And all she can do is kind of nod her head. That kind of gift. I mean, I guarantee you, and that was her last Christmas, and she gave one of those to every one of the siblings. And I guarantee that gift is up in every one of their homes till the day they die. Because it's about the relationship. My family and I, we received a gift like that. Um... 2012, and this is probably why I like the movie so much too, because it was my mom's last Christmas, okay, and we knew it. She'd been fighting cancer for five years. She was done with the chemo. She was going to see her Lord, and like, and she wanted to get everybody together for Christmas. And so we said, "All right," called my bro, Southern Cal, brought his kids. We all met Sun River for a week, and and it was an amazing time, right? I mean, we had just this amazing. I mean, it was just, it snowed every day. It never stopped snowing. It was awesome. It was magical. At night, it was like we were, you know, going around the stoplight there, throwing snow. It was just, it was an amazing time. We had food together. We, we baked the cookies. We did all the things that my mom wanted to do, decorated the tree. It was so, we, we took a sleigh ride. She wanted to do sleigh rides. So we did a sleigh ride through the, I mean, it was like a dream. And uh, somebody, one of my mom's friends, saw these pictures, and she made us this book. And she got these pictures of my mom, and it's just this amazing book that just captured all these great memories from our trip, from that, you know. And so, and mom died next June. But this, I mean, I asked, I, to, uh, a couple days ago, I said, hey, Rhonda, where's that book? I was thinking about it. I was upstairs in my office. I'm like, oh, that's, where's that book? She, this wasn't buried in the, in the attic somewhere. She goes, oh, what do you mean, this? Goes over and grabs it. Yeah, you treasure things like this. You treasure relational gifts. The giving of relational gifts, I think, is actually a really good way to celebrate the birth of Christ because it can point a way out of the chaos of consumer Christmas and take us back to the joy that can still be found at the heart of the story. And our, our giving this way can actually reflect in some small way the power and beauty of God coming into our world and being among us. Incarnation. It's a word that doesn't show up in the Bible. But the writers of Scripture describe it so powerfully that, that we can't deny its, its, its existence. I mean, the incarnation, when, when Jesus came into the world, the, the divine Son of the Eternal Father entered our, our story as a human baby. The miracle of the incarnation, the infinite becoming finite, fully human, yet fully God. This is the profound truth that lies at the heart of Christianity. It unites Baptists and Catholics alike. It unites uh, Episcopalians and Presbyterians, mega churches and house churches. Anybody who is an Orthodox biblical Christian claims, proclaims, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. 
least there's one over there. Come on. <laughs> hey, Paul's with you. Look what Paul says about Jesus in Colossians. He says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is almighty God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the maker and sustainer of all things. Don't, don't, don't forget who you're seeing there. That's God in the flesh. We should stand in awe of Jesus. We should bow before him. John begins his gospel. S- similar way. In the beginning was the word. We know the word is Jesus. He's talking about here. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing nothing was made that has been made. Let me go back. John tells us that Jesus not only made us, but he formed the world around us. He he cast the planets into the universe. He, 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 He did everything. There's nothing that has been created that wasn't created by and through him and for him. And so when we read a few verses later that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we should be like, what? The word became flesh? How does that even work? And why? Why would he want to be limited by flesh? The miracle of the incarnation is not simply that that Jesus is God. It's that Jesus, as God, chose to become one of us. Jesus is the incarnation of God, is our fullest and best understanding of God himself. And so we believe that when we look at that, when we look at the incarnation at at Christmas time, when when we consider it thoughtfully, right? We we, we use words like ponder. It's the only time of the year we use ponder that. Ponder intentionally the generosity of our great God and the gift he gives us, this can give us a template as to how we give more this Christmas season. Truly entering into the incarnational story of, of Christmas. So three things, three ways that, that, three things the incarnation teaches us about the way God gives. The first thing is this, and if you're taking notes, there you go. God gave us his presence In the incarnation, God drew close in a very specific and historical way. Matthew uh, takes us back to the ancient prophet Isaiah. I love this quote. Matthew says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that is Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, most of us, we, we repeat this name to each other at Christmas time, don't we? Emmanuel, oh yeah, God with us. And, but but do, do we really allow that to 
to permeate the way we live and interact during the Advent season. I don't always, you know. I mean, I love that verse. I love talking to people. Yeah, God is with us. I love preaching it. But I too can get really busy and mixed up and lost and, and I forget that, 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 that should, just knowing that should shape the way we live together. God is with us. We should be with each other as well. And, and, and why did he come? What was the reason that he chose to dwell among us? Well, you know, we talk about it all the time. He saw us in our desperate situation, unable to do anything about the sin that separated us from him. And he chose to do something about it. He cared enough to do something about that. And so he came to rescue and restore, and he adopted us into his family. Anybody been adopted? Whoa, it's a beautiful thing. Adopted into the family of God. And then he filled it with the Spirit, which would begin to transform us into his likeness. I hope this verse never gets old to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. This is the gospel, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he, he sent his son into the world to save the world. So, so what do we learn from the incarnation? God had a voice. God had a face. God took on the form of a servant. He had a body. There's something incredibly tangible about the gift that God gave us. And so is it possible that, that even the gifts that, that we give each other could be saturated with this kind of a beautiful uh, moment of when God gave us his presence in a unique and flesh way. And so one way I think we can, we can reflect the image of Christ at Christmas and enter into the story is, is kind of doing what he did. So what did he do? Well, he gave us his presence. We live in a world that's increasingly fractured, Right? I mean, we're all over the place. We live apart from family. Um, yet we often mask this distance with a kind of pseudo uh, community, right? We call, we text, we Facebook, X, all those things. And, and those are, I mean, those are fine ways to keep in touch with family, of course, no doubt. But they could never replace a flesh and blood connection, a flesh and blood relationship. We need to be with each other. We need to see each other's faces. We need to hold each other's hands. We, we, need to, we, we need to talk to each other. We need to see the expression. It's one way that, that we're reminded that we're not alone. I mean, because you can feel pretty alone in this world, even amongst a bunch of people, unless someone's really with you. And so it's so important. When we look to Christ, he was with us and among us. Um, when we make time to be, when we make time to be with somebody and really intentionally be with them, man, it's a gift. Uh, just thinking about our brother Gary Brashears. Gary's not here, right? He might be here seconds or. Um, well, no, it's it's, it's good things. Uh, Gary's a treasure. Okay, I'm telling you what, he's a treasure not only to Grace, he's a treasure to the church worldwide. He's always getting on a plane, going somewhere, teaching. Uh, but, but more intentionally, he's going to be in, in somebody's life. And so um, that's just who he is. He, he, he values that. He's very incarnational, okay? He inspires me, okay? Because I'm not naturally like that. I, I like getting things done. Just, but he sees people. This was him last Thursday night. 
Now, some of you look at this picture and you're like, oh, sick. Man, he's at Arrowhead. He's hanging out with Mahomes and T. Swizzy and, uh, you know, Kelsey and all those guys. And man, he must be this huge fan. And the, and the answer is no, he's not. He's not really a Chiefs fan. He could care less. We were at preaching team, and right before he left, I, I'm like, oh, sick, Arrowhead. I was born in Kansas City, and my, my dad was a huge fan. Unfortunately, he died the year they started winning. So all those bricks at the TV, phone bricks. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, um, we, I said, well, yeah, who are they playing? He's like, in, in Gary fashion, right? He's like, I don't know. Why would I care? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing subtle about that. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, preaching team can get a little spicy sometimes. That's why I love it. But, um, but yeah, he wasn't there for the game. He was there to see his son. He was there to see his grandkids. Now, um, and, and I, I know what you're thinking. Oh, he's sweet. I wish I... Listen, this is sacrificial too. Because he's, he's jumping on planes all the time. He's always going places and whatnot. And it's not easy to just stop what you're doing in the middle of your busy schedule, jump on a plane, go out to Kansas City for a few days, and then fly back home. And I guarantee he'll, be, he'll probably be here this morning. But, but that's who Gary is. And he knows the value of spending time really being with people, being present. Because that says to, what that says to his family is you're valuable. You're important. You're significant. I'll sacrifice my own time and schedule for you because I want, and not, not just because I have to, I want to be with you. Some of you don't believe that Jesus came because he really wanted to be with us. He wanted to be with you. He sees all your stuff and he wanted to be with you because he loves you and he treasures you and he knows the value that you are as his creation, as his as Paul says in Ephesians, his poema, his poem, his beautiful creation. So the fact that Jesus dwelled among us and chose to be with us should translate into us being willing to be present in the lives of each other, one another. And this isn't a new concept for us, but it's definitely a neglected one. Um, so when we give more relationally or incarnationally, let's think about how we can creatively... Um, uh, express that to those we love, to family members, or even those who are longing to really be known, people that are kind of on the margins. How can we incarnationally love them? And maybe in the bed of that Tonka truck that you give your kid, because again, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you put a note. Maybe you turn that into an incarnational gift and say, um, hey, enjoy your truck. I'll be enjoying it with you as we turn the sandbox into a city this afternoon, right? And you, you commit to being with him in the midst of that. There's all kinds of creative ways we can become incarnational in our giving and, and relational. Some might say, say listen, Matt, that, that sounds good, but listen, my, my grandma lives on the East Coast, man, and I can't get back there. And, and, and I get that, and there's times when we can't. But, but even then, you can be uh, incarnational in our giving and relational. I, I read a story this week about these two granddaughters. They had this great-grandmother, and she was stuck in Syracuse, right? Three, four feet of snow. She's not getting it out. They can't get back there. So, and they had all these memories growing up with great-grandma. And so what they did is they took this jar and they just filled it at 26 apiece, right? 52 weeks. They each wrote down something on construction paper. Grandma, I remember when you used to walk us around the pond and feed the ducks. Simple. 
boom, in the jar. Grandma, I remember that, that party you showed up in the, that 70s gear, and it was just hilarious, and whatever, all these memories that they had. And then they, they, when she opened it on Christmas, they said, once a week, you can pull one of these out, and we just want you to know we love you, we're thinking about you. So every Monday morning, guess what her favorite day of the week was? Monday morning, man, she'd grab her tea, she'd go in that jar, and she'd open that up, and she'd realize, yeah, they're halfway across the country, but they love me, and, and that's relational, right? Even in our distance, we can do that. So we got to get creative, and some of you guys are way more creative, certainly, than me, so we're going to need some help here, so we're going to need to network a little bit, but um, second thing. So in the first thing, God gave us his presence. The second thing, the gift of Jesus was intentional and personal. I love Luke's account of the Christmas story, right? And he, he says this very famous line, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. A Savior has been born to you. Not just some say, ah, Savior. No, no, no. He, he came for you. Worthless shepherds, seemingly. He came for the least of these. He came for all of us. He came for you. And over and over in the Gospels, they demonstrate the relational nature of Jesus. He, his coming was personal. He liked being with people. He intentionally cultivated relationships. He paid attention. He listened. He noticed. He did everything that those of us that are too busy to do, he did. His coming was very intentional. I have not come to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. It was no coincidence when Scott prayed this in our prayer circle this morning. Right? We're on the same page here. This is why he came. He was intentional about this gift of his coming. It wasn't some last-minute thing, and it was personal. Right? My father has this house with many rooms, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Jesus wants to be with us forever. You can't read the scriptures and come away with anything, any conclusion, except that God somehow wants to be with me. Look at the lengths he's gone to do it. What a gift. Some of you really need to believe that again today. He sees you. He wants to be with you. Now listen, we've all received gifts that are a bit awkward, right? Gifts that we knew were just box checkers. Like, man, if you really knew me, you would have never showed up with that. Um, but we've also been on the other side of that, right? I mean, we've given gifts that practically scream, listen, I haven't thought about you in a long time, but I feel obligated to get you something, so here's a fruitcake or whatever it is. Here, here's something, here's socks. Um, we can be those people, hurried, preoccupied, in a hurry, and um, being led by the other Christmas story that says, just, just get something. That's what it's all about. But relational giving means that we really pay attention to the person we're giving to. It's about the relationship. And, and again, Sean made it real clear. There's nothing you can give somebody. There's nothing tangible we can give that, that says, that it equates to their value. Of course not. Right? The, the jewelry store guy? Right? There's not a stone in that store that would be worthy of the bottom of my wife's sandal. Right? They're rocks. Shiny rocks, but rocks. So, um, she's like, bring on the diamonds. Uh, no. Anyway, um, yeah, that's, but, 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 but that's the fact. We, we need to take time to notice people, see what they like, and, and come up with, with ways to give to them that'll be relational, that, that'll show them how valuable they are. There's a story also I read this week about a dad. Christmas, it's right here. 
It's Christmas, and this father, he gave his teenage daughter um, these two journals, two blank journals, and and the thing is, she was getting ready to leave for college, right? And so the days are flying by, and basically the father said, um, here's the gift. Two blank journals, one for me, one for you. Um, during the next year, uh, which would include her final days of high school, and all too brief summer, first semester away from home, they both committed to writing thoughts about leaving home, questions and fears, frustrations with overprotective parenting, just let me have it, um, what it meant to let your daughter go, how it feels to watch your child become an adult, and the next Christmas they exchange those journals back. Now, some might look at that and say, two blank journals, what the, you call that a gift? I'll tell you what, that's a gift to be treasured. Those two don't end up in the landfill. That's, that, that's very relational giving. So intentional and personal gifts are those that speak volumes to those that receive them. How much you love and appreciate them. All right, so finally, God gave us his presence. The gift of Jesus was intentional and personal, and God's gift was costly. Listen to Paul. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The incarnation, the gift of sending the Son was costly. Jesus wasn't pressed into the mold of this world that says that you know, power comes with force, with, with conquering, with boldness, with oppressing, with demanding. No, no, Jesus came into the world his own way. He showed what ultimate power and love looked like. He chose to enter our world humbly as a servant, washing both our hearts and our feet. I mean, it's amazing. And he gave his life for us. Praise be to God for his indescribable gift. It was sacrificial. And so as we enter in the story and celebrate and give generously, what's that going to look like? The worship team's going to come up, and I'm going to finish wrap up here. Um, it means that if we're going to give relationally, it's going to cost us something. Okay, it's going to it's going to take it's going to take time. It, listen, it's a lot easier to just hit the button, have the big blue truck show up on your porch, drop the gift. Um, I, I know that's easy. I like that. Right? I mean, I, I, I like checking lists off, man. I like getting things done. But we're being called to something better, something more. Um, it's going to cost you something. It's not going to cost you near what it cost Christ. Okay? So don't hear me saying that. But there's a cost if we're going to give something that's meaningful. Your time, your effort. You're going to have to network with some people. Right? You're going to have to use a little brain power. And this kind of giving can be a little risky. Let's be honest. What if they don't like the gift? <laughs> what if they don't understand your intent? What if they don't appreciate the time and effort went into the gift? But think about this. Even in that, isn't that kind of an entering into the incarnational story of Christ? I mean, Jesus knows what it feels like to be kind of rejected, to be misunderstood. So even if it all goes wrong, you're still entering into the story. And we need to remember that the gift is, is always about the person we're giving it to. 
right? It's not about, it's about them. So giving like this in the spirit of generosity and humility and sacrificially, and I, I think it's a great way to celebrate the incarnation of Christ. So let's do that. That's what we're calling each other to. Let's do that this year. Let's help each other come up with ways. And listen, start small, right? Maybe you've never done this. Okay, start small. And just move out and just think about it relationally. After all, the Christmas story is our story to tell. So let's, let's tell it loud and clear this, this Christmas. Well, that was fun. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for people like Jeffrey and Morgan, too. Love you guys. Um, hey, as we go, on the back of your sermon notes, for those who have them, if you don't, they're back there. Um, just a few questions that maybe you can ponder as you think about what, what it means to give more. And uh, maybe, maybe that'll help you in your groups. Talk about it in your small groups, whatever. Just um, trying to throw out as many helps as we can. So uh, love you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being faithful to the Lord. Uh, let me pray and then we'll go. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the powerful testimony of your word. And, and Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and your great love for us. We, we acknowledge that you do have supremacy in all things and help us to live our lives in a way that reflect that. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.